I'm Tara. I'm Ryan. We love Disney movies. So we decided to watch them all, from Snow White to Frozen 2 and beyond. Each episode, we'll watch a different Walt Disney Animated Studios film and tell you all about it. Did we like it? Does it hold up? Who's our favorite hero? Or villain. We'll give you history and fun facts about each movie. And sometimes, we'll invite our friends to watch along with us. So put on your tiara. Or your evil crown. And join us on our adventure. This is Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Hello, listeners. Uh, we are here today. We are we are here with kind of a little bit of an unusual one, but one that I think fits very well within the pantheon of what we're doing. We are doing 1982's Tron, and we have a very special guest today. Uh, you may remember him from being married to Melissa, our guest in the Dumbo episode, and being the father of Maggie, our other <laughs> guest in the Dumbo episode. Uh, please welcome uh, our friend James. Hello, everybody. Uh, yeah, I'm. I am the person that you're supposed to remember, but have never heard before. <laughs> yes. Uh huh. Well, um, we are so happy to have you on this. So yeah, yes, I. Once we were doing this, and I think you said like I feel like you suggested Tron in a roundabout way. It was like, oh, are you guys doing Tron? And I'm like, we should do Tron. I don't think there's um, an actual princess in this movie, but <laughs> there's. What we found is there's not a lot of princesses in our princess diaries. Up podcast. to this point, yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely. There's, I mean, there is a, a centralized female character, but she doesn't really come off as a princess. Uh, but yeah, no, Tron's great. It's a good movie. If you can tell me that character's name, I cannot I tell you that character's name. Okay, so you're on the same level with me of this because I let's let real quick. Why did you think this was a movie we should do? Why did you want to do this movie? <gasps> Like, what's your background with it? Okay, I I mean, I'm a child of the 80s. I was born in 76. By the time this movie came out in 1982, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, I was just getting into the concept of going to arcades. Uh, a real quick short backstory on that. My dad and I would, Saturdays once a month, we would go to get our hair cut at a place called Landmark. And right next to the place where they got our hair cut was the biggest arcade in Peoria, Illinois. And we would sit there and... <laughs> That's quite a claim. Yeah, I know. And it was. It was actually pretty big. Um, and when we were finished getting our haircuts, as long as I was good, we would go next door and we would get to play some... At this time, it was mostly pinball. There were some video game machines, but for the most part, it was pinball. Uh, Centipede was a huge part of my life. I have a Centipede cabinet art tattoo on my arm. But uh, I was about to say, I, for, I remembered you had a centipede tattoo. Yeah, um, and I do remember the Tron cabinet when it eventually showed up. Now, I probably didn't see Tron until late, mid, probably 85, 86. Uh, home video was where I would have saw it, so whenever it came to right, home video. Okay. Uh, but as a kid growing up in the arcades of like Flynn's Arcade in the in in the movie at the beginning, you know, where he's surrounded by people. That was a huge part of my childhood. I could watch people play these games in the arcades forever. So getting zapped into an arcade game was like my dream. So it's just the whole concept and idea is super, super neat to me. And uh, the movie's always had kind of a really awesome little space in my heart since I was a little kid because of that. Uh, not so much the sequel. I hope we don't really talk about that a whole lot. But uh... Ooh, So we haven't seen it. Okay. Uh, I did want to use this as an opportunity this podcast to watch the sequel Man. because i think they're did you not like it there were parts i did like but any movie where you have light cycles that look like they're moving slower than the one that was made 30 odd some years 
in the really? past. Yeah, I, I really okay. there were certain visuals that were cool, but man, I think they really missed the mark a whole lot on some of the just the fun aspects of the movie and the sequel. Soundtrack was amazing. I give them that. Yeah, soundtrack was great. I've heard but that. As far as the sequel, uh, it's been a few years. I'd have to rewatch it, but wasn't a huge fan. Well, that's probably going to end up being a mini-sode we check out. But So my background with this movie is I watched it for the first time, I think, in 2004 or 5. I can t- I, I was, it was with somebody in my fraternity said they really liked it. And I was my roommate at the time was a guy named Mike who was one of the smartest, simultaneously one of the smartest without being like socially awkward people I've, I've ever known. Really smart guy. Went to like Caltech, all this stuff. But we, we, neither of us had seen it. And we sat down and watched it. And both of us looked at each other and went, this is the dorkiest movie I've ever seen in my life. And we <laughs> loved it. But it is all about just computers. And it is, it is if it, you know, we were both engineering majors at the time. So we were eating it up. But we were like, oh, my God. Because it it's got a very 1982 aesthetic. Um, it's a lot of fun. I don't think I've seen it since then, but it's a movie like I own it. And I just, I think I just bought it because I liked it so much and never watched it again. Yeah. But I'm excited to see it again. Tara, why don't you tell us your background with this movie? <laughs> I have no background, no connection. I've never seen it. I knew nothing about it. I turned to Ryan and was like, is it a robot movie? Like, <laughs> well, I had of? like no idea. So I, yeah, and then Ryan sent me the trailer. So now I have like a better understanding a, a of what idea. it is. I crammed for this podcast um, this morning and watched, there was like an hour and 40 minute documentary on it. And I watched that. And I'm watching it and something, there's a part in it where Jeff Bridges does this bit where he goes, you know, sometimes where I'm, when I'm feeling low, I put on this hat and he puts on the Tron hat. Oh, he puts on the helmet like, or the little, yeah, little the helmet. bicycle and helmet like, thing. Yeah. And I ran to Tara cause I thought it'd be this like fun little story. Cause I know you like stuff like that in, in, yeah. in, in actors documentaries. I'm like, Oh, he puts on the Tron hat. And she's like, does Tron wear a hat? Is Tron a person? Like, yeah, like, I'm like, like I had no never idea. mind. Yeah. Tron's a <laughs> but now I know it's the white helmet right yeah. yes from yeah. the it's, trailer but it won't be white in the, the movie well it's white and blue yeah, and, yeah yeah and that's the whole thing let's start going into the making of this because, okay so do you want me yes to let's read do the, the synopsis, synopsis first so here's the synopsis a computer hacker is abducted into the digital world and forced to participate in gladiatorial games where his only chance of escape is with the help of a heroic security program yes and the heroic security program is tron, is tron. that's right uh it was interesting okay. thing about uh, I, I don't know them all, but you'd have to go into actually looking them all up. Most of the names in this, of the characters in this movie are, they're what, anagrams? Is that what I'm looking for? For well, other things the, like, cl- yeah. like Clue, Bit, Rom. I think it's, is it Ram or Roms that's in this movie? I can't remember one of them. I think it's Rom. Rom. But uh, it's all computer programs. Computer program. terms. Pro- yeah, they're all computer okay. terms and programs. And, uh. I think even Tron has stands for something, and I, I don't even. I think uh, it's it's short for electronic. That was the original. Oh, was so that the it? Idea was yeah, because this whole movie came about because they were dealing with a process, basically doing backlit animation, which was a new thing at the time, where you're drawing in in black you're on black paper with white, and then you shine light through mm. the. Uh, film to make it give it that 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 glow and when they were doing it they go oh this looks like computer so they did like a 15 second spot of like this electronic 
warrior coming out and throwing two frisbees that like collide and explode and then he catches them and they went oh this is really cool but they needed money so they sold it to a radio station local to them in boston and it was like 92.5 the rock (laughs) (laughs) and it was it's funny because the director of this movie whose name is steve i forgot his last name lisberger steven lisberger like throughout the whole documentary, they kept telling talking about how Steven was really good at selling this concept. And like, while not necessarily super artistic to draw this big thing and then immediately sell it to a rock thing, they're like, that gave us money for the next project. Sure. The next the next project. So in the back of their mind, they're like, we gotta do something with Tron. And, and this is Disney as a company or no? They're not with Disney. They're an independent animation studio okay so they get money from the olympic foundation and i don't know if either of you remember this do you guys remember a cartoon called animal olympics yes Mm -mm. do you remember this i do because i think i think this is more so it was like late 70s yeah it was i think it uh, did they have were they attached to hanna barbera or do you not know so that's the laugh Olympics. okay maybe that's what i'm thinking of then okay so i know the animal olympics because you can watch it as a movie and (laughs) <laughs> they used to show it at the Mr. Gaddy's Pizza Parlor. I feel like this whole thing is such a flashback to my youth of like arcades yeah, and man. pizza. Good times. Stuff. The early 80s. Shaky. So they pizza. would show it at Mr. Gaddy's and the thing they could do with it because basically it was just, hey, here's we're going to cut to the martial arts. And it's and it's the guys from like Spinal Tap doing the voices of the of the. Uh, <laughs> Like Harry Shearer and those okay. people doing the voices of the commentators. And it'd be like, it's the martial arts. It'd be like a penguin doing martial arts. Or it'd be an elephant doing the parallel bars and things like that. So you could divide it up and do this stuff. And their plan was they had money to do one for the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics. And then that was going to fund Tron. And they were going to do f- Tron independently. The Summer Olympics one goes. And then America boycotts the 1980 Summer Olympics. I think they, they boycott the Olympics that were in Moscow because Russia invaded Afghanistan. Sure. And this was we, we saw this when we saw Miracle mm-hmm. and they were yeah. talking about they were worried, oh, maybe the Russians aren't going to come over to Lake Placid for winter sports. But when they did that, the Olympics said, well, we're not going to fund a winter Olympics because we don't know if they're coming over here or what's going to happen. So they lost their money. So that's when they said well, we need to find somebody to fund this idea for a movie we had, and that's when they went to Disney. Hmm. So the Cold War politics influenced the making yes, of Tron. Had, yes, that's, so this is that's the something. most 80s movie. It was 1980. I, yeah. I double-checked it, yeah. So this is the most 80s movie of all time. You're right. Cold War politics, yeah. <laughs> pizza parlors, arcade games. That's, I love it. Um, Good so times. I'll just give a couple little facts, and then if you want to go yeah. into the making of... Um, so it got a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it was, uh, it did not win any Oscars, but it was nominated for Best Sound and Best Costume Design. Best Costume Design went to a movie called Gandhi. Mm-hmm. And then um, Best Sound went to E.T. Yes. So I've e. never heard of like that one movie. Of, I don't yeah, know. right? <laughs> one of the biggest grossing movies for uh, 1982. So Tron, and the, Tron came out against E.T. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and it so was, the budget... For Tron was seventeen million, and opening weekend it made four million something. So it didn't do 
This so is well. a, but in 80, this is a cult classic. Yeah, I, I, I mean, people yeah. talk about like old movies and how they did in the theaters and all that. Uh, I, I it always kind of I lose a little bit of the translation because I mean, seventeen million isn't would be nothing for a movie this day and age, or at least a studio based movie these days. But I mean, four million dollars sounds like a pretty good opening weekend for. Well, well, ET. Uh, the box office gross I'm seeing is 359 million. Now that might be of all time at this point, but you start going below that, and like Tootsie was number two, and An Officer and Gentleman were number was number three, and those are both over a hundred million. So we're start we we as we've been doing this podcast, we've been seeing we're just the, starting to hit big numbers yeah. like that. Yeah, now that like I feel like movie going became more of like an event. So right? do you have the do you have the number for how much Tron made uh global like over its entire run? Well, uh, since I, then it's it's made like fifty million. I thought I saw okay. on Wikipedia. But but like we said, it's become yeah. like a cult classic. So yeah, I think yeah, and, and it gets there, it gets so weird because I don't I don't know at what point in time megaplexes really started becoming a thing. Where like sometimes movies would be in theaters for six months at a time. I don't know when that finally stopped happening, but it was. Uh, well, I think it was when we there, there's more and more pic- pictures coming out. But yeah. so one thing I did want to say about the Academy Awards, and you'll get a kick out of this, uh, James. I told Tara this earlier. Tron was not allowed into special ef- best special effects because the Academy felt they had cheated by using computers. <laughs> like, Man, if they could only insane. see it now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, th- that's the thing in this in this video, the the way they made this mo- movie and all the things they had to do. So they go to Disney and they've got like all their storyboards and they've got everything. And Disney goes, okay, but will this work? And they're like, we don't know. We think it'll work. (laughs) And like, they had to go and shoot the, like a test run where they got like a national Frisbee champion. One thing I don't know if you know from the, the trailer Tara is Frisbees play a huge part in this movie. Yes. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. So I figured, yeah. (laughs) I mean, they're not just, they are the coolest freaking Frisbees ever. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they, they filmed this guy, they film um, him escaping and using his frisbee to attack uh, some of the robots from Disney's The Black Hole. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah. They they do that for the the test screening and it goes really well. And they go, yes, this is great that you've proven you can do all this, but you haven't proven this thing you keep talking about called computer animation. What is that? Exactly. <laughs> so there's there's like fifteen to twenty minutes of computer animation in this. And it's, which is an insane So has nobody amount. done it up to this point? Nobody has first done one. it. Yes. This was the first example of it? This the first it, real yes. example. Okay. It's, exactly. Uh, and, and you can, it's, it, to this, I, I mean, you can't say it holds up. When you look at it from the no. lens of like 1980s something, this is amazing stuff. I mean, the light cycle yeah. sequence, when you get to it, these things look like they are hauling some serious rear end. Um and it looks to me amazing. Even to this day, I think it looks great. The scene with the light cycles, and I think the aesthetic of this movie holds up really well. Yeah, I mean, it, a it lot looks of that good. is a lot of that is based off of decisions they had to make when they filmed this uh, backlit. They, they filmed the 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 test footage. They did it all white backgrounds and everything. And the the guy, they said, well, we can do this, right? And this guy comes to and goes, you have to flip it. You have to film everything on black. He goes, why? He goes, there's not enough. The, the quote was, there aren't enough lights in all of Hollywood to light this movie. <laughs> like the movie you've, you've, you've told me. So they had to flip everything, which means every every step of the way had been done. They had to, f- to reverse everything. And then they had to reverse the process. So they're sitting down on paper saying like, 
Okay, how long is that going to take? And if we have to do this, how to do all this stuff. So much of this movie was done on paper. The light cycle sequence. We talk about like animation. This guy got in, in in the documentary and could not explain. He's like, you don't understand. Every step of the way, it was the first time doing this. There was no Photoshop. There was no anything. He's like, we couldn't even, they couldn't even take information. They didn't have floppy disks. So... In order to do the light cycle sequences, you need six numbers for every frame. The X, Y, and Z coordinate of this thing, and this is probably getting a little in-depth, but just hold out on this. And then the pitch, roll, and yaw to say like how it's, which is like airplane terms of how you're doing it. So you have the position, where it is in the world, and then how it's tilted. Okay. So that's just a frame. So then you go to the next one, and you change those numbers a little bit and do that. And there are six cycles in that scene. Okay, so that's six numbers for every frame. So for 100 frames, that's 600 numbers. Yeah. 100 frames is about four seconds. Oh, my gosh. So they, that's 600 numbers for four seconds, which they then had to take from this computer, write them all down because they <laughs> didn't have a floppy disk to put it on, walk it over to the next group who had the rendering machines, who would then go, thank you for these numbers, and type them in by hand. How much did those guys hate their lives? (laughs) Oh, my. Everybody's talking. They had this Las Vegas. um, When they finally, they got a a minute of the movie. Yeah, I think it was a minute. And they they put it all together with all the computer animation and all this stuff. And they took it to Las Vegas for like an expo. And they were working on it. It took them a month to do a a minute. And they showed it the expo. And they go, oh, man, this looks great. And this producer was like, let me do the math for you. At this rate, it's going to take us 80 months to finish this movie. Oh, yeah. gosh. So then they had to send it out. So they go, okay, we'll send all this stuff. A lot of this movie is painted. They're doing backlights and all that stuff. So they go, we'll send that all out to this, this company in Taiwan. They get them back. They're all in boxes. They start to take them out. The t- they go, oh, these look great. But then they start realizing that they packed some of the film before the ink had dried. Oh, no. So they're like peeling the film apart. They're like, you have to tell them to to (laughs) wait until it dries. Oh, wow. So that's something. They start watching editing of the movie. And every once in a while, the lights just go get brighter (laughs) because it's all this weird thing. And they're like, what the heck is that? And they figured out the process. What they figured out isn't that interesting. What's interesting is how they fixed it. They go. All right, every time that happens, add in a special a sound effect. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, I don't know. It's something exploding in the background of this digital world. Yeah, so, so whenever some... you watch the movie, you'll see like, pew, and like everything will get really bright, and they don't explain it. Yeah, I, there are those just random fluctuations where you see the screen get yeah. bright. And yeah, they do. They add like these weird digital noises that you just assume are part of the grid. That's yeah, great. That's, that, that's an amazing fix for that. Because this computer world was so unknown, everyone was like, yeah, sure, that happens in a computer. Yeah. It totally does. It's like if and, – and it's just this movie is I, – I, you know, hearing all of that stuff about how they did all this and all the mistakes and all that is, to me, what makes this movie fun. What makes it, like, kind of a fun thing to watch and why I wanted to do it. Another reason is because doing that light cycle scene – Uh, An animator from Disney, who at the time was working on Disney's Christmas Carol, Mm. Mickey's Christmas Carol, came over to check out the light cycle sequence and was amazed by it and went on to direct Toy Story. Ah, And it was John Lasseter. Oh, neat. That's that's great. That's neat. I mean, growing up, I mean, even though my dad was pretty heavily involved 
evolved, I would say post 85 with computers at where he worked. Uh, mm. um, I, there's still a part of me that kind of hopes that, you know, all my little programs are people running around inside my computer, yes. you know, uh, living their life, doing their best things, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I certainly hope it's that way. It, 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 it like I said, it, it goes back, casts back to that era of the '80s where we have this technology. Nobody really knows how the hell this thing works, so we're just gonna make it up. We're just gonna make something I, up, and boom, here we go. We have the game grid where programs are walking, talking people with users, and it's just kind of a fun idea. And the users are gods. They're yes, the users are gods. That, where they're like the users, and then when Jeff Bridges comes in, they're like, "You're a user." user yeah, like, it's. it's I th- my prediction is that you're going to spend some time on your phone during this movie, Tara. I'll be honest. <laughs> I'm try not to, but... But I think going into it, knowing... I think aesthetically there are some really cool scenes. I think afterwards... I'm, I've got a whole lot of stuff here from the actual actors because, boy, there's a lot to be said about, you know, this being the first movie also where, like, they're like, look at this tennis ball and pretend it's something. Yeah. yeah. And... It's just real quick, every single actor they go through and they introduce them, they go, oh, I'm so-and-so. And, And, you know, when they told me about this movie, I was like, I don't want to do this. This sounds crazy. But eventually they talked me into it. And the only person who was like with it with the get-go is Jeff Bridges. Like, yeah, man, like they had, you're in a computer, man. Like they were just, he was so excited. He's like, sounds awesome. It sounds like Jeff Bridges all the way. Yeah, it sounds like, I feel like that's how he lives his life. The the evolution of Flynn into the sequel is one of the endearing parts. Flynn in the sequel is pretty, it's very, it's very big Lebowski. Well, (laughs) in a lot of ways, it's. Let's not waste any more time with me gushing about this just ridiculous process of getting the movie. Um, and I am just excited to be on the other side of this. We've got two fans and someone who's never seen this before. I can't <laughs> wait to hear Tara's, Tara's uh, reaction, good or bad. I'm not expecting anything, but I'm yeah. just interested to see what you'll do. So uh, let's take the uh, VHS out of the clamshell and stick it in the VCR, guys. All right. We'll see you on the other side, listeners. We we are back, guys. We have right, we have traveled back. into the digital realm and returned. Uh, and I gotta know before we say we do anything else, Tara. How how did you like it? I liked it way more than I thought I was going to like <laughs> okay, it. Good. So when I watched the trailer, I was like, okay. And then you guys were really excited about it, and I tried to go in with an open mind, and I actually really enjoyed it. And like the the scene that gave me like the most like intense like oh my gosh i'm nervous i don't know what's going to happen is the light cycles like i was kind of in it for that like following them and and like that was really cool and so yeah there were a there were a lot of little things i liked about it but i definitely came away from it appreciating it way more than i thought i was going to i think if you're hesitant about this movie you should maybe watch it and be okay with fast forwarding through some stuff. Like if something starts to kind to of be drag, honest, like I didn't really feel bit. like anything dragged except for that one part when I like just stood up for a minute <laughs> and, and, and walked yeah. around it for yeah. your back. Yeah. 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 But even that like, didn't seem for me, it didn't like, I was expecting it to, cause I saw it's like 96 minutes or something like yeah. that. And so I kind Which of expected isn't... it to be, I saw the time limit on the film and I was like, oh no, is this going to be like Pete's Dragon where it feels like it goes on forever and again? Uh, anyone who has listened to the Pete's Dragon episode knows our, our feelings on the on that movie, but um, it didn't feel long to me. 
Like it didn't, I didn't feel like I was constantly looking at my watch or, you know, I wanted a time check at one point, but like we had 20 minutes left. So I felt good about that. James, did you say at the beginning when the last time you saw this was? Probably about two years ago. Oh, okay. So yeah, it wasn't like the nineties or something. No. How, no. how did you f- feel seeing it again? Oh, I love it. This, this is a, this is a classic from my childhood. Uh, yeah. The... I mean, the movie is not by far perfect, but it, it's 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 pretty. It's beautiful. The story is paper thin, and at times, honestly, I think it. Yes. If it could, if you're not really paying attention, you will have no idea what is going on because it doesn't make any sense. Uh, they barely touch on the fact that oh, I mean, you get like maybe a two minute blurb when they're sitting in the top in Flynn's apartment that. Oh, this this bad guy Dillinger stole his computer program, and that's what that's why he's in there. But before that, there's like 15 minutes of the movie before that before you realize why is this guy breaking into the computer, and it's kind of weird yeah. that way. Um, and yeah. then after well, there's that, literally, there's literally that spot where it goes. Meanwhile, in the real world, <laughs> exactly, well, I wrote, to yeah, you, I wrote and then immediately that down. goes back into the yeah. digital world. Right, mm-hmm. and then once he actually gets tossed into the digital world, there's like zero mention of why he's there. All he knows yeah. is he's there to stop the master control program, which wasn't what he was about to be at the beginning. He was there to get proof that he basically had been robbed, but now he's all about taking out the master control program. And there's yeah. zero talk of his stolen video games, which is kind of weird. When when we got to the end, I went, oh yeah, I forgot the real world stakes of this yeah. movie. Like yeah. I completely yeah. forgot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and they're kind of low. Like in this digital <laughs> world, it's like, People are pe- programs are dying oh, yeah. and being yeah. like taken over, and it's, it's just like very yeah. Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones like world. And then we come back out, it's like, yeah, I proved that I made this video game. <laughs> exactly, like, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, um, it's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's very weird that way, and it kind of honestly, story wise, like I said, it feels a little unbalanced. But you know, it's a pretty movie, so I can, yeah. I can watch the visuals in that movie all day long it's it's yeah and and speaking of the story i think we'll like dive in and kind of go for it kind of not well a little bit beat for beat and then like you guys chime in and i have some notes when ryan had stories from the documentary (laughs) i want to hear these stories (laughs) yeah now i don't want to sound patronizing to you tara but if you ever get to a point where you're like I kind of remember what was happening here. You can just be very vague because I feel like if you get into the yeah. details of what's happening, the, the details like the good guys then fight the bad guys. Yeah, it's like, I tried why? to write it. I tried to write it like that a, yeah. a bit, but we'll see going back over my notes. But basically when the opening credits happen, we're in the digital world and then it cuts to Flynn's arcade. So that's kind of the opening credit sequence. And then it cuts to... Um, I wrote it as the Tron video game, but it's not the Tron video game. I learned later it's the Space well, Peril. It is the Tron video. It becomes the Tron. It becomes video the Tron game video game. In the yes, real world. I, I guess that's why I wrote it but that it's way. Called yes, Space Paranoids. Or no, so that's the, the light cycle. That's the the Space Paranoids is the tank game he was playing yes. where he was shooting the uh, whatever yes. those big red guys are. But yeah, yeah he's playing then, like a light cycle game or something. Mm-hmm. Got it. And then so then it, so it cuts to that, and then into the game. And then that's when we find out that there are lethal matches where, like, the master control programs, um, and I have, and then believes in the users. Yes. So, like, I wrote certain things down, but this was early in the movie before I, like, fully knew what was happening, I, but sure. that's what I wrote down for that. I said this earlier, and I do feel that this movie has a strong Game of Thrones vibe, and one of those is because it's, like, 
you understand what's happening, but if you were like gun to your head, asked like, "What's this character's name?" Yeah. You're like, "Um, no." And I did try to write that down, but then that's when that. Meanwhile, in the real world, mm-hmm. right? Which so that's when that happens. Cut. We go, yeah, we go back and forth, and we find out that Clue is the best program ever written, and then that's when we're introduced to the bit with yes or no because it's a one or a zero. I wish it's this little floating blob, and when it does yes, it's like a nice perfect triangle. When it does no, it's like a spiky red thing. And I kind of wish Bit was in the movie more because he's here, and then he shows up again later, I guess, a little bit, and then and he it's just kind of for comic relief, I think. Yeah, you yeah. kind of get the yeah, idea I... that maybe he's uh, Bit is just like a because uh, he only shows up in the vehicles, in the tank, and then when mm, they're, they're when he's yeah, fighting yeah. the uh, rec- when he's piloting the recognizer. So maybe it's kind of like a weird co-pilot thing or a something, you know. But yeah, That's it always a good shows point. Yeah, or like when art when the different droids are in the ships in Star Wars, right? Aren't they yes. like kind of like navigators a little? Yeah, bit? Yes. the astromech. There's no way this movie like you could tell you could convince me otherwise that this movie takes a lot from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, it does in certain. Yeah, <laughs> it came sure. out in '82, and they were like. We got to, we, I, somebody said like, this is the next Star Wars. I guarantee you at some level, some executive working For on marketing. This. Yes. Yeah. Somebody who wasn't involved in the whole process. Yes. But the meanwhile in the real world is basically Finn, Flynn is trying to find a file and gets attacked while he's like trying to find this file with his program Clue. And I wrote, it's like a video game inside the program in the mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Like, it, that's it's essentially like what you're. Yeah. It's their version well, of hacking is what it is. That's what yes. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. So it's him like... hacking, but like he never says he's hacking till much later on. Yeah. Yep. So you yep. kind of feel like he's playing a video game within the game but what or it, within the program. I, I just love the idea because you see movies like Swordfish now that we make fun of where it's like oh, a guy yeah. with like three computer screens and two yeah. keyboards going net. like, going like clickety clackety clickety. It's my, like, I'm hacking. My favorite, my favorite is Hackers. You know, yes. it, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like th- I think this is more realistic than hackers ever was. Well, I think him just like looking at the screen and then typing a few things and then thinking about it, like that feels maybe more like hackers. Yeah. But like when they cut to his screen and he's seeing like the video game version, I was like, this is what in 1982 everyone's like, is this hacking? Yeah, this yeah, is exactly yeah, yeah. what it's like. It's so scary. Yeah. <laughs> and so we find out that Clue is a pirate program and he's captured by MCP. And tortures him basically to get him to talk, but he won't talk, and then he's destroyed. Yeah, so he's, the program he's, gets he's, destroyed. Yeah, he's not just destroyed though. When the MCP uh, derezzes individuals, he absorbs their knowledge. That's how he was oh, able to. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's how he was able to track down that the basically it was Flynn. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I kind of forgot that piece, which I guess is kind of an important point to the story later on too, because of the way. He talks about it, but then it cuts to the fanciest helicopter. It's, <laughs> it's that light up red helicopter yeah, it, for Encom, and it's Dillinger who comes out of the helicopter. And it looks like Tron. It looks like like for a second yeah. we were like, are they still in the game? Yeah, yeah. And this is when you wanted to talk about Peter O'Toole. Oh yeah. So this is played. This is uh, Dillinger slash. Oh, what what's his name when he's is it? It's not Stark. Stark, Stark. Is it Stark. or Sark? S A R K, I think. So yeah. Dillinger slash Sark slash I believe the voice of the MCP is all played by David Warner, who's been in eight million things. Uh, Tara was able to identify him from, or James identified her, him for Tara from Titanic. Titanic. He's and been in- it just also his whole character and like the way they film it has a very lethal weapon feel, which is also yeah, 1980s. Dillinger. But Dillinger as a bad guy in the real world, 
makes me feel like all the villains in the lethal he weapon looks movies. like a drug dealer yeah, yeah the way or he... yeah so so he uh originally excuse me so originally that uh role was cast as peter o'toole and um Peter O'Toole read the script and was like, "I'm this is look this sounds so fascinating with all these tanks and a solar sail and this and that and the other. So the solar sail is the thing they slide on near oh, the end. Oh yeah yeah yeah. And then he's like, he's so interested. He showed up to the set and he goes, "I want to see this. Are we? Uh, where are you working on this stuff?" And they went, "Oh no, it's going to be in a computer. You'll never see it." And apparently he quit right there. <laughs> I love he was that. Like, no. I, I also love, love that. that too because it was so early on that like of course he thought it was all being physically rendered in some way, but, right? But can yeah. you imagine like you going to someone they go, "Oh no, it's all going to happen in this box." And you're like, yeah. "These people are insane. This is a, yeah. how do I it's get like, out of this?" I don't want to have <laughs> yeah, my name I, I on this project. Yeah, I want nothing to do with yeah. it because this is going to yeah. tank my career. Exactly. So then it cut Go ahead. It cuts to, oh, sorry. It cuts to the so many cubicles where I was curious if that happened in real life. And then, James, you were saying your father worked for a company. Yep. He that worked. had that set up. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, he, he spent, a, I mean, he did a couple different jobs there, but eventually he was put in charge of all the computers at this one facility. And he he had this it was a sea he was, it was one cubicle in a sea of cubicles and yeah it was kind of overwhelming to see and in the <laughs> film it wasn't all cubicles it it's was a matte painting, it's a matte so, painting but yeah. it looked really impressive yeah they tried to get and that i'm used to yeah i'm used to cubicles like when i've gone to ryan's work where you've got a collection of them but not to that extent mm-hmm. like i've never seen them like quite like that so that was a little intense but then that's when we meet alan who's also tron and Alan is working on the Tron program that he created, a security program. And that's when he goes up to meet Dillinger because he has limited access, right? Right. Yeah. Dillinger has, has restricted his... Restricted. A- well, the MCP through Dillinger. That's what it feels like as you're watching this is the yeah. MCP is giving commands to Dillinger and Dillinger is following, is following them. them. So I want to talk real quick about Bruce Box Boxletner. I'm sure I'm screwing it up. So he was working on the time when they asked him to do this. A uh, and this Wy- is Alan. This is Alan. Okay. Alan slash Tron. He was, they asked him. He was working on a Wyatt Earp uh, television movie, and so he got the script. He said he was on a horse with a like spirit gummed mustache on, dressed as a cowboy, and he read it. He said, "This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen or heard in my life." And then he found out it was a uh, feature at Disney starring Jeff Bridges, and that's when he went, "Well, maybe I should do this." Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. And he did the whole, you'll see when I post this, but the whole documentary, he has the most bright, like, Hawaiian Elvis shirt I've ever seen. It's so amazing. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So this is when we find out that the MCP can't, does not want to have an independent program monitoring it because it has, like, taken over. We find out it's basically taken over other programs and other things and has been getting very smart along the way. And then we head to the laser bay, and this is where the orange, they do the testing of the orange, where they're digitizing something and then bringing it back. And I had it, felt like Mike TV from Willy Wonka. Yeah. It felt like that scene. But then you mentioned Star Trek, right? Yeah, so like... James and I went to like the old sci-fi references like Star yeah. Trek and The Fly and you, the went, fly. you mean like Mike TV and I was like <laughs> which is great yes, you're that actually is... 100% correct yeah that's essentially what it is uh and so then that's when you see Alan talking with Laura and you know she's one of the ones in charge of this laser beam and what they're trying to do and um hold on what does this note say don't put any change in meters 
Oh, oh, that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's so the, yeah. The so that the, uh, I want to read that quote because I actually find it funny. Yeah, but we'll um, get there in a sec. Yeah. What did you want to say? Well, I just kind of she, she she had a story too when she was Laura. cast again. No one other than Jeff Bridges was in this from the get go, and apparently a lot of people joined because they went, "Oh, Jeff Bridges." Oh, that's funny. <laughs> what had he was, What had he done before this? That was this pre Starman or after Starman? It was right before Starman, and that's interesting because apparently they said Clue was kind of a proto-Starman. Okay, I could see it. Which is interesting, but I... I but yeah, I, what was he in that they knew his name? I don't know, but a lot of... Apparently he was enough of a draw that people were like, oh, he's a respected actor, we should... Mm-hmm. I know he'd done stuff when he was even younger, but I can't... Th- I, I'd have to look it up. Yeah, then. that's fine. Um, So she apparently, she got on set... She, she was she was on set and they showed him, you know, most of this movie was done in what was essentially a black box theater, which a lot of people like Bruce Boxlander said he thought it was interesting. He goes, oh, I felt like I was back in on a stage yeah. because yeah. you're acting to nothing. He thought of it that way. But she came on and they showed her what she would be wearing and she disappeared for a, an entire day and no one could find her for stuff. And finally someone got a hold of her and said, where are you? She goes, I'm in the gym and I'm not leaving until I lose five pounds. If oh you're my going goodness. to have me wear that. Wow. <laughs> because nobody knew they were going to be wearing those spandex And such suits. a tight, yeah. yeah. Yes. And she goes, and then finally I wore it and they got on screen. The first thing they do is they bring black pins and they start drawing on you to accentuate like the way you look, but also to create some of that circuitry so that it, the and thing the movement. Through. So yeah. she's like, I felt like I was back in a sorority. <laughs> like oh, I'm no. just yeah. standing. Now, did my- she? I. I mean. She is definitely the the female draw of the movie and all that, and she is quite a lovely woman. Uh, but did, did she have much armor on? Like you know, Tron has that and has that huge tress piece with the, with the the T on it, and right, Flynn right, right. has like uh, almost like a I don't know what you would call it, like a, a sash she's wearing. It, it, a she, toga, it, it looks like it does kind of look like a toga. I I don't remember. Is, is she basically fully exposed in spandex in this movie? I, I I think I, so. I bet so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and it reminds me of hearing stories of female actresses talking about like when they have to do like partially like unclothed scenes. I'm trying to say it like in an appropriate way for the podcast. Nude but scenes. You nude scenes. Nude. I don't know. But like how they talk about how like a lot of times they feel objectified or the way like directors handled them. And I'm not saying that that happened to her here, but it does feel like you feel very exposed in <laughs> yeah. an outfit like that yeah. and not being prepared that you were going to have to wear that. Like, I kind of well, understand her, like, feeling uncomfortable. I will say, and we will get to this at the end, that this movie was written, was, as far as I could tell, just done by dorky white guys, like, top to bottom. They were very... <laughs> yeah. I don't like, know what would have sure given that them, away. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure none of them thought, like, we should think about how this woman's going to feel. Well, exactly, I, I, just yeah. Like, Honestly, I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't even given it a thought until you brought it up. I was like, oh and my I, gosh, she is. She's, she yeah. doesn't have anything. She yeah, has a helmet. And I, I also feel like, too, like nowadays I feel like we're more cognizant of that. And also the like tighter outfits like that, like the spandex and stuff when you think of superheroes and you think of stuff like that. Like people are used to seeing people like that and you're more prepared in yes. what that looks like when you wear it. I feel like this is like a different era of that, right? Yep. Um. But then the next part, it cuts to the scene where they basically go to get Flynn to warn him that uh, Dillinger has limited access to people trying to access, what is it, Sector 6 or whatever. She figures out that it must be because Flynn is trying, is trying to, to get in. Yeah, in. he had recently so, gotten fired. Uh, Dillinger had fired him. And yes. uh, he had Sector 7 access. 
Yeah, so they go to Flynn's to warn him, and then this is where they pull up, and she says, don't put any change in the meters. We need it for the games Yeah, the arcade. because Flynn's arcade, like, that's his... Which, by the way, someone make this. Like, Flynn's no, arcade is, like, three stories. They did. They did. Uh, for, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For the, the sequel, the Comic-Con... Uh, whatever you call it, the hype machine at Comic-Con the year the Tron Legacy came out, you could, you would have to follow, I believe you had to follow these puzzles and eventually you, you got, you got given this ticket to go to this event at Flynn's Arcade, which was outside Comic-Con down the road. And they had recreated the whole arcade and it had something to do with the, the Tron machine, the one, the one that we all know from the classic arcade, was a secret door that you could open up and you'd go in. You could get a preview of what the new light cycle looked like. And it was just this that, that right viral media alley. thing. Yeah, it yeah. sounded really cool. Apparently, it was a fully functioning arcade. And I wish they'd bring that kind of thing back because well, I love arcades. <laughs> I know we, we try to talk a little bit about sometimes how these things have a have a have a uh, presence at the parks, and I know they ha- there's a there's a Tron Legacy coaster that's coming to Florida has been in Shanghai I believe, but uh, they for a while we you know we've talked about the Mad Hatters Tea Party, yeah that like rave, <laughs> like, oh yes, and so for a while apparently they themed that to Tron and it was just you'd go really? and be all this Tron set thing. Yeah, for oh, a while that little party was that. I feel like that has more staying power. I don't know. Apparently the Mad Hatter's Tea Party is so beloved by locals and, and I, people I, who go frequently. Yeah. I've been once and I I mean I've been Disney lots. I've gone on that one time a uh, long time ago before we had Maggie when it was just me, Melissa, Abby, and Logan. And my whole time on the thing, I had to spend holding on to the wheel to keep it from spinning around. Because Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Not the not the ride. They have an event that's like a rave dance party with oh, drinks and everything. Oh, I thought yeah, you were yeah, talking. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I thought you were talking about the ride. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry, no, not the, the teacups tea I actually can't do. Because yeah, no, same. Agree. Yeah. 100%. That's why it blew my they, mind. You're like, they, they changed the teacups to a Tron ride? I was just yes, like, no, wow. No, no. <laughs> no it, they, they did. It was in the rave party that was kind of a late night more for adults thing. Almost like a Pleasure Island kind of a thing. Okay. Yeah, okay. like there's yeah. drinks and like it's, it's yeah. a, there's a DJ. And we did a show, something like that at the Halloween show. They did a villain's yeah, yeah, dance yeah, yeah, party. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what apparently I'll try and get some video of that for the Facebook page. But mm. yeah, they did that for a while. It was and Flynn's arcade was there because I guess next yeah. to it is an arcade. Oh, there used cool. to be. They, they I don't think the arcade the arcade in Tomorrowland now I believe is a gift shop. Oh, yeah. that's a bummer. Um, so when they go to Flynn's to try to warn him, they like ask <laughs> a kid, "Hey, where's Flynn?" Because they're assuming he's playing his game, and yes, he is, and he is the biggest celebrity rock star. <laughs> Like, at his game, playing his own game to get a high score. There's a crowd of people around him. He's got, like, his Walkman headphones uh, around his neck. And it is just, like, a snap. I mean, this whole movie is the 80s, but I feel yeah. like that's a very 80s moment. That, that, I love but this that, character in this That moment. stuff would... I mean, Ryan, you. Uh, I mean, Tara, were you a big arcade person when you were growing up? I, mean, I was not, no. Ryan, how were you much... Because that happened. That kind of stuff would happen. Yeah. I think sometimes everyone's around them to get their turn, but there'd also be, I would go to arcades and I would watch people play. Like, yeah, people, I would. Because it's like, Absolutely. you can spend money and be bad at this game, or right. I can just watch this guy just for guy, free. Just, yeah, and, he, and then get, and then try and play it. Yeah, it, I, I would. try and play it. 
yeah. just to see how it ends to see mm. what who's the last boss in the simpsons game i think that was the one i the remember simpsons, watching someone the, uh, start to finish when mortal kombat came out the rise of the fighting games mortal kombat street fighter killer instinct and tekken and all that is when uh i really saw some of these like larger and this obviously is way that's probably 90s early 90s um when those were coming out to the arcades I, i'm not 100 percent sure but there definitely were people who would hang around and watch people who were really good at pac-man just play pac-man and uh yeah so that was a very real thing and uh i mean it's yes jeff bridges definitely plays up the rock star cool guy with the headphones oh very much that, so but, but yeah but like the idea of like everybody watching around and and that kind of a thing he, yeah yeah just the cool when they do that shot from the screen looking at him and all the people behind him I don't know why. Just he just looks so like, hey man, like he's so into playing and his, <laughs> yeah. his, his hair. Like it's I just want to really be Jeff chat. Bridges in 1982. I do want to say one thing real quick. Mm-hmm. Speaking of video games, so on the set, one of the things the director did when they were in that black box set, they did a couple things to kind of help with the mood around there because everyone's wearing black. So this is, I'll get to the, the second point here. Say, but the first point, everyone's wearing black and white. There's nothing. Everyone's kind of done this. So they encouraged everyone to wear very brightly colored clothes on set Mm -hmm. so that when you left, like Jeff Bridges says, you'd emerge from the set and there'd be this world of color. It was like the Wizard of Oz where you're like, oh, I forgot color existed because I've been in here for eight hours. Yeah. But the other thing he did is he had them bring in arcade cabinets and put them all around the set. So when you weren't filming, you could be over there playing. And he said all the time it was like, Jeff, we're ready for you on set. He's like, I'm studying my character, man. Oh, like he's trying funny. to finish. I'm something. playing Joust. Leave me alone. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Um, so when they go and they find Flynn, and after he's done with the game, we find out he lives above the arcade. And he lives basically behind the flashing sign that says Flynn's. And then he changes from one Flynn's t-shirt to another Flynn's t-shirt. <laughs> Just so we can see him shirtless But he was definitely glistening like that he had worked up a sweat. Which I guess depending how long he was standing there playing. Arcades were hot. Much, they, yeah. They, there was, like, you had body t- heat and those machines yeah. put off And then off I feel heat. like too you're standing for so long and, and stuff like that. But it was just kind of a fun, a fun moment there. But then um, we find out that he was one of the brightest software engineers and he created a bunch of video games at the company uh, and Dillinger stole the programs that he created and the games he created and then Encom, the company, took it and then Dillinger was promoted because they were also successful. And then that's when Ryan, that's when you mentioned that, well, technically, he said it he is was, the company's property. Yeah, he said he was sneaking in late at night to work on the games and I'm like, well, if you're on the company's property and it using the company's systems, yeah, I, that brings up a question. I mean, do we even know what? I mean, yeah, did, Flynn made these video games, but is there any point in the time where we find out that Encom is a video game company? I mean, what I, video I game company were... is making transporter lasers? Well, yeah, yeah they're making really, transporter lasers. The only, yeah, the only time we find out that like they're doing a ton of stuff. I think it's the, the, written from someone who went just like software companies make everything, and it's like that's not how this works. You don't have a <laughs> software company that has a has a master a control pro- pro- yeah. program that's accessing the Kremlin at some point. Yeah. Yes, and also space paranoids. Yes, <laughs> uh, but that's when they let him know that Dillinger's on to you and. Uh, Alan and Flynn then get excited to work together for a moment. 
Uh, and then she and then Laura's like, let's dance because they're talking about breaking in at night. And she says, let's dance and like holds out the car keys. And then they like yeah. go. And it's like that scene to go back to the building. And then they're trying to get into this giant, what looks like a very heavy, huge red door. And Ryan has a story okay. about the giant door that they're trying to break into. So apparently, so it's a door that like it opens and it's so thick. Like it is four feet thick. It yeah. just keeps opening. And they filmed that at like a nuclear facility or something to do that shot. And apparently, they said when they got on set, there was one spot in the in the area that's not on screen, but it's off screen where they were filming that was just roped off, and it said "Do not enter radioactive." And they were like, "It was just roped off. There was just a <laughs> rope." And the and the woman Cindy Morgan, I believe her name was, yeah, Cindy Morgan, who played uh, Laura like wasn't paying attention and just walked and took a step into it and everyone went stop and they had to stop everything and her shoe had to be like oh wow like clean to get radio yeah. at radio oh, and her had to go through decom <laughs> yes they had to, she's like that's it was, crazy and they were all just like there was just a rope that's all that was there <laughs> that's wild <laughs> that's great this rope stops radiation yeah uh, so then we cut back to Walter, who's the other scientist with Laura. We meet him earlier. And for any Sister Act 2 fans, he is like the... the Bernard head... Shaw, I believe is his name. Yeah, he's like the head priest. He's essentially the principal of the school, uh, the Catholic school. So mm. that's him. And if you close your eyes and you listen to him talk, like, at least me. Uh, <laughs> if, that's who if I you've listened, If you've seen Sister Act as 2 many as times many as times as I have. Has, yes. um, but... <laughs> Walter, the scientist, is in Dillinger's office, and they're fighting about NCOM. They're fighting about the future and all of that. Um, and then MCP is... Then we cut to MCP. This is, I think, where they talk. he talks about the Kremlin and says it wants to get into the Pentagon. And basically starts blackmailing Dillinger. The master control program is essentially like, I will like put out there that... Flynn was the one who did all the things you said you'd do. But it's... it's, it's- they're not equal. He's like, I want to get into the Pentagon, which has the nuclear codes. And if you don't let me, yeah, I will tell everyone you didn't do. really make this video game. He's like, stole no. this video game. Yeah. And then he says, I'm 2,415 times smarter than you since you first like created me or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then it cuts to Flynn and Laura in the laser bay. And she's basically like, this is my life's work. You can use my computer for like as long as you need to. And then Alan, who's Tron, goes up to his cubicle to basically, they're going to try to get in and get what they need to get. Uh, and then we go back to MCP, who wants to put you on the game grid. And basically, he wants to put Flynn on the game grid and does what they do to the orange. So that's how he gets. The laser is pointed, which scene. I think is very it's unsafe that the laser is pointed right at where she's sitting. <laughs> so I, I did think about that. I was like, why would they ever do that if she was like testing something out? But it, it does uh, just it sound like really... an OSHA violation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It is a really cool shot. And that's how Flynn gets into the game. So yeah, that's how we it's, see that happen. It's, and it's, it's, it's part of something we'll t- I think we'll probably talk about later is it, it begins like some of the real ass creepy aspects of this movie when you really start thinking about it the the well the music there's pretty intense too. it is yeah. it is but he gets blasted you see his hands get you know fingers get rendered in out of existence one by one and then it just cuts straight with like with no real um 
warning that it's coming into this real head trippy scene of him dropping down. Yeah, into of him the, kind of going the game into do, the game world. Do yeah. either of you remember something called like the mind's eye or magic eye? And it was like a video or a DVD you'd get. And it was just like, uh, I, I've, I've talked about this before and it must have just been something I said. But it was like a DVD. There was like two or three of them. And it was just like shots like that where it's like you're flying through like a, a, a weird landscape with like computer imagery on it mm-hmm. and it was that was it there was no uh plot or anything it was like a 30 minute dvd huh. and when i remember you... watching me like this is the coolest thing i've ever seen <laughs> when you said that it reminded me of like the magic eye puzzles that you'd like stare at right but that's not what i'll have to find i'll have to find mind's eye and post yeah, it because I, I swear i've is. talked about it before maybe not on here but yeah but then um, the MCP says, you know, he pushed me in the real world, so now he's gonna, now he's gonna come join like our world. And then Sark uh, is combating, wants him to combat Flynn, the user, so user versus program, essentially, mm-hmm. and so wants to train him and then essentially finish him. The users in this world they treat as kind of a religious figures. They're like, oh, you're my, yeah. the users made us, and the users created. Some us, people don't yeah. seem to believe in the users. It's mm-hmm. interesting. Sure. So Flynn thinks it's a dream at first, and he's kind of like, uh, "What are you guys? And tell me all about you guys, because I need I need to know this for you know when I wake up." And then this is when you said two hundred and forty minutes for one second. You're talking about like, oh, it was how long it takes to render. This is how long it takes to, any the rendering machine on this movie to do any of the CG shots took like ten minutes to render a frame. Yeah. So if you wanted to render one second, that's 24 frames per second. It's 240 minutes yeah. to do one Which second. Oh, you, yeah, you were talking about the ship. You were talking yeah. about the, the big, long, like, battleship well, just, thing. Yeah, just anything took forever. And they also talked about, remember how I was telling earlier about they take the numbers, they give them to this person, and they put them in the machine? Mm-hmm. They would talk about how then they'd watch it, like, they'd have to print it on film to watch it to see if it worked. And that's the first time they saw if this, like, they go, that was our pencil sketch. That was us, like, figuring out how this worked was watching it on a big screen and being like, because there's stuff, apparently, if you watch it, where it's like, things aren't rendering properly. And, like, I've I've seen stuff where there's a series on YouTube where uh, VFX artists look at movies and talk about them. They did Tron. Mm -hmm. And they recreated the light cycle scene with modern technology, but trying to make it look the same. And they showed them next to each other and they looked almost identical. And he's like, I did this in a week, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, on my computer and just showing that. But like, that is how long you'd have to wait just to see if anything was working. Was not even like, working. Wow. <gasps> yeah. That's insane. That's crazy. Uh, so then we find out that like Sark comes down to train and, Tron fights for the users, so we find out a little bit more about Tron. And then this is when we see the identity discs, which are the <laughs> frisbees. frisbees. Apparently the director, like Bruce, he said he got in his face one day and he, he goes, I don't think you're preparing like you should. We have to shoot these frisbee scenes and I don't think you're putting in the work you need to. <laughs> and Bruce Boxler was like, I think he was just trying to get me mad, but either way it worked. Yeah. And he's like, I worked really hard. So there's a shot where... A disc goes flying over Tron's head, and he like grabs it like that. Mm-hmm. They did that in one shot. Oh wow! Because he did it the first time. He goes, they cut right after that. But apparently, I just turned and looked at the director, who's like up on a thing. Yeah. And he's like, we got it. That's funny. <laughs> and he's like, I proved to him. He's like, I think he did it to make me mad in that 
fueled my need to practice <laughs> to with do the frisbee. That. Yeah, yeah. motivation to practice. But that's what it frisbee. was. He was up above him. Yeah, he was up above him. He was just throwing frisbees at him, and he threw it over his head, and he just that. So anytime you see Tron doing a cool frisbee thing, it's typically him that's doing, Bruce. Yeah, that's him. That's cool. Uh, so then Flynn is chatting with Ram, and they're kind of like in a prison cell in mm-hmm. this whole sequence. And then Flynn is in an actual fight with one of his own, and he refuses to kill his opponent. So they're in, like, this prison. They're chatting. And then they all, I think it's all of them go, no, it's just Flynn. They just take Flynn out to fight. They just take Flynn right? out. He's fighting that chubby program that they make a fat joke about. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and James like was weird... like, excuse me? Yeah. It's like, that's a fat joke. <laughs> and then I think Flynn just thinks it's a game at first. And then yeah, he realizes, and then he like, realizes, oh, this guy's going to die. Yeah, and he's like, I refuse to kill him. And so then MPC winds up killing him. NPC. Oh, MPC. MCP. MCP. I thought you were saying NPC, like that's what just what you were going to call characters you didn't know. And oh, I was so no, proud of you. Sorry, no. <laughs> I mean, it works. Uh, so Tron and Flynn meet and they're waiting for the light cycles, kind of the next thing that happens. And this is the whole scene that I really liked a lot, that there was a lot of tension because it was like a very like you're following the lines and mm-hmm. you're watching them, um, you know, cut each other off and make these paths and things like that. And this is when they escape the game, dri- game grid. And the demons, which are also called recognizers. Yes. And or, yeah, they're called the a couple different yeah. things. Yeah. Um, and they are crashing into them, and then the tanks are deployed. So, like, this is a whole big sequence that happens through here. I can, Let me just jump in with one thing, because this is the light cycle scene in general is what they were talking about. Apparently... They were talking about how this this felt like they were being uh, directed in a silent movie because there was a lot of real close shots of them, and then he would talk during the whole thing because they didn't have any dialogue. They'd be like, and then you see an explosion. <gasps> then you do this, like, and he's yeah. just talking oh, because cool. they didn't have to worry about sound. So yeah. I thought that was that's neat. cool. Uh, and then at some point during this whole sequence, when Sark is looking at like his digital board, that's where we saw Pac Man. So for anybody who's watching this who wants to look for Pac-Man, that's where Pac-Man shows up. It's I'll very, it's that very, it's very easy to see. It's just yeah, yeah. It is they're not even hiding as Pac-Man. It's just yeah. uh, and then um, they're out of the cars and they're on the other side. Uh, and this is when Flynn says, "On the other side of the screen, it all looks so easy." Yeah. So at this point, they don't know he's a user, but they're kind of suspecting. I think Ram is kind of su- suspecting he's a user. And then this is also where we hear that insult, a null unit. Yeah. Happens. Sark says it to... And I'm going to start using it from now on. Yeah. <laughs> Some random and... lackey he calls a null unit, which is... Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a throwaway line, but yeah. like we all picked up on it. And then they're drinking what appears to be water, but it's power. And so I guess... You guys were saying like the MCP like limits power to everyone, so they're getting like this pure power when they're drinking. I I guess. I guess I don't know. It's never really it, explained. It, it kind of you kind of they give it. It's kind of like almost a, a early clue because you kind of see something similar happen at the end of the movie once the MCP is defeated when all the lights come back on and everything mm, goes to kind of yeah. from red to more of the blues and the purples and all that kind of giving this impression that the MCP was just soaking up all this extra power yeah here they found like a natural wellspring of it of sorts yeah kind of what like I always was, got from it yeah well, that makes sense and like he was soaking up the power for his own use versus like it being everyone's use. It also, again, going back to this, feels kind of Lord of the Ringsy to me. Um, that it felt like the int draft scene, mm, where they they drink the water and then Merry and Pippin, Pippin like grow, get, get like a little two taller, taller and yeah. stuff. That's what it felt like. Just kind of like a 
this is the natural world or this is how things are supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then they get back in the cars, like the light cycle car things. And then um, Ram and Flynn kind of crash. And so they think they've gotten rid of the two of them. And Tron thinks he's lost both of them. And you see Flynn winds up carrying Ram. Ram is hurt pretty bad. And they're trying to find a place to rest and to hide. Ram, spoiler alert for another few minutes, Ram dies in a little bit. R.I.P. And uh, Dan Shore, who was the um, actor, said that his 92-year-old grandmother started a writing campaign to Disney where she and her friends would write a letter and they would all just say, Re-Res Ram. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I knew you would. That's so great. That is cool. And he was like, I'm pretty sure my mom had no, my, my grandmother had no idea what any of those words meant. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so... Flynn winds up building a paranoid, uh, it's, uh, a recognizer, like again, they're referred to as different things, uh, because he has user power. And so he's able to build one of these, but I love that it's like not 100% complete. Like, <laughs> that it's kind of broken. <laughs> it and... gets rebuilt and then the leg falls. Yeah, yeah one of the feet yeah, fall so off. It's just Exactly, great. yeah. So he rebuilds it and then that's when Ram realizes he's a user and then Ram dies. Like, he kind of just... Um, dies in that moment and then it cuts back to uh flynn trying to maneuver the recognizer and that's when i wrote it was super beat up but then you meet yori who's laura in the real world and it's tron and yori and uh he's escaped and she's helping him essentially she's trying to help him it's kind of a question at any point during uh yari is that her name Y- Yori. Yori. Yori or Yari, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's Y-O-R-I on okay, the subtitles, so we... but I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. All right. Is, is it at any point hinted that Laura is her user, or is she just a random program? Because I don't think she ever mentions her her particular right. user. Same she thing doesn't, with, uh... but, what, but Flynn recognizes her as Laura. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. really, that. like, so that's when we realize that, like, she's connected to Laura somehow. But, yeah, she never Cindy, mentions anything. Cindy Morgan talks about that connection in the documentary. I don't know. So maybe it was not on the, the page, but kind of behind it. Because she said she played the character as being, like, Weirdly attracted to Flynn, but not knowing why, because her user had been attracted, attracted to, Flynn to Flynn at one Flynn. point. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you do see that they like make eyes with each other, and there's a couple like moments there. Um, but now they've met. Her and Flynn wind up meeting. Um, at, right? Yeah. Because he loses control of driving the recognizer. Oh, right? He, I don't he, know if I have the, the so order of things He right. loses control. He finds Sark and some of his minions and he punches out one of the minions and like That's right. And absorbs he absorbs the, the red, red so then he can like be in disguise. This is kind of where a lot of stuff just starts happening where I'm like, then what? Why is yeah. this happening? Like this is the yeah. start of the like post, post light cycle sequence is kind of where this movie begins to go I think a little off rails and just yeah. it, it starts to me almost feel like and you had mentioned it when we were watching it that at a certain point in this movie, it just seems like, okay, we got to get this done. I think if yeah. you ask why in this movie things happen, like you're <laughs> fighting a fool's yeah, battle. Yeah, you just have to like, keep going <laughs> You with need to that. be like, okay, then this happens. Cool. So he <laughs> yeah, fights so, them. But, well, then okay, it, sorry. Oh, no. Go ahead. Because after he absorbs that guy, the next thing I have is it cuts to... When, and he absorbs that guy, he kills that guy. Like when he yes. absorbs the red, and that's like, when that guy's done. So this is probably the part where you got up and walked around because they go and they find... 
I forgot the character's name, but the 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 friar from from Sister Act. Yeah, Dumont. I have notes for this. Where yeah, where they it cuts to them trying to get to the top to communicate. It looks an, like the top, but then they go through a window. Like they're looking up at it, then they go through that window, and then they slide down. Yeah, they go up, they go through a window, slide down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where they find Dumont. Why wouldn't you just put a door on that place? <laughs> Well, they were, they, they there find... was a recognizer searching for them. That's what I oh, mean. Not, right, not, right. I mean, don't get me wrong. I agree. It's kind of weird, but yeah, they they yeah. have. There's a couple scenes where are are frames where it's them against the window, peering in, looking in, looking in. But there's this, this lone recognizer just kind of scanning mm, the whole area. Yeah, for that's them. right. Yeah, uh, and so Dumont is. I, is it Walter? Walter, is, I think, is what yeah. I wrote down. Yeah, Dumont is the other scientist in the real world, and so uh, that's when I wrote. Throw Frisbee into the... Oh, that's when he finds out after he communicates with his user. I was like, what? Yeah, uh, exactly. But, just kind he of basically finds out that... Uh, but this is when I walked around and you guys told me what happened. But it puts the virus on the disc. Yeah, but he holds he it to, up in like the yes. most hero pose of all time. And it like floats up. Like, yes. Which, which... It lights up super bright. If you really yeah. think about it, I believe that pose is on the poster. And yeah, can you yeah. think of another sci-fi where you have a young heroic hero hero with a pretty lady next to him? He's holding something up in the air like that. that. Lights up. Yep. Yeah, it's the it, it's it's, it's Luke Hope. Sky. It's a Star Wars poster. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk for just a minute about the poor Bernard Shaw, the actor, being put into that weird <laughs> rig yes. for his character, where it it's is like really weird. This huge outfit, and then his hands are sticking out. And he's got this like very phallic-looking weird headpiece, head and, and he's like smushed a little bit. Hair. And he's smushed a little bit like Jabba. Like, yes, he's kind like of, yeah, yeah. And then they keep spinning around on a lazy Susan to look yeah. at people. <laughs> Yeah. When I when I see him just looking like that, the one thing I can only think of really is are those comforter pillows with like it's a big back pillow with like the, the squishy uh, armrests that you just kind of leave on your bed oh, to sit up and yeah, watch TV. Yeah, yeah. It, I just see that if you put like you said the the, the phallic helmet on him, you got to do mod. And it's it, and what sucks is it's like later in the movie he's just walking around in a regular outfit. Like, yeah. that's not what that creature looks like. That was something they just put him in. <laughs> like, he could have just, sorry, he could have just been like an old guy at a desk. Yeah, like, what do you need sitting, me to do? But yeah, no, or sitting at something, thing. yeah. We're going to sit um, down so here in this demeaning. heavy robe, and now we're going to sit, you know, 50 pounds of fluffed up costume on top of you. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, so then this is where Sark confronts Dumont to find Tron, because Tron has left, and now he's like, you know, where is he? And then Tron fights the guards, and this is this I found funny where Tron is fighting the guards, and this a little bit feels like a stormtrooper moment where he's fighting all these guards, and then the one guard looks at him and just jumps to his death, <laughs> like he just decides <laughs> to just take himself out. And I feel like a stormtrooper would do that, yeah. would just like give up and be like, "Okay, bye." And yeah, he throws like... his little his battle stick off and just kind of shrugs his shoulders and jumps off the yeah, uh, the yeah. digital so slab. Didn't thought... they do that in Iron Man Three where he comes in and he's taking out all the goons, and one goon goes. I don't want to work here. Yeah. These people are weird. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, like, yeah. Runs off. yeah. It's a similar thing to that. So then Flynn and Tron are united. And then, oh, this is where Flynn, Flynn meets. Flynn meets Yuri here. My notes were right, jumbled. But this is where he meets Flynn her. is still dressed up as a bad guy. So Tron almost kills him, knocking him yes, off. And, and then he's hanging from the side and he lifts him back up and he gets blue again. Blue again. Yeah. And so he sees, this is where he recognizes her as Laura and she doesn't, she seems like she doesn't know what he's talking about. 
when he's calling her Laura. Um, and then this is where he admits to them that he's a user. And so while they're on the ship, the grid bugs, that's where we see these grid bugs that they say, you know, if they get us, then everything will be over. And as James mentioned, we never see them again. Like, they're not yeah. really a threat, even though they say that they're a huge threat. And it's it, it, a scene they could have easily just clipped, clipped that. off. Yeah, and, and yeah. what's interesting is, is when you see the grid bugs pop up and appear, even against something like the light cycle scene, the animation styles look completely different. They yeah, yeah. they they look very very, very out of place because it's hand animated. That scene is hand. Oh, okay, animated. okay, that would be why. And, but and it's I just feel like there was something that they if they maybe they had more time, bigger budget or whatever that they were going to do something with that. Yeah, uh, and I feel like maybe there was like so much work put into it that that's why it was kept in. Like yeah, I just but, I, it's just a throwaway scene. It's just weird. Yeah, it. I will say that that scene and that kind of hand animated look, but still glowy, was what the original Tron like radio bumper oh. we talked about looked like and we'll, oh, i'll put okay. all that okay. stuff up okay but that's that's when this movie was originally supposed to be an animated movie that's what it, it would have looked like all that interesting oh okay that's that's, that's kind so, of a neat yeah, throwback feels, then. that's cool mm-hmm. yeah it feels like a throwaway scene but yeah i feel like it was probably kept in there for i wonder if they just had their heads down and were doing that and it was in the script and they were like <laughs> okay well we'll just animate it and then later we'll go back and do it and just they went well, we have to keep it in and then at no point did they go why don't we just cut this out yeah like, <laughs> yeah i feel like there could have been a million different possibilities like every, behind that the, 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 the documentary is divided up into how we decided to do this movie uh, all the actors dealing with it. And then the last part is called like the wizards of Tron. And it's everybody who actually worked on it. And I skipped through some of it. Cause it was like, we use this process. Let me talk about this process. I'm like, okay, okay. But it was, you. It, the, the th- last third is just people going, okay. So uh, I was a background animator and everything was in gray because they had to light it later. And I had to use an airbrush. Cause that's what you do. And I never used an airbrush before. And it's actually the worst thing you could possibly use. <laughs> it's like everyone just complaining about, about like, why we had to do it this way. Yeah. <laughs> or like, this didn't work. Like they, they're like things that you can just do now on computers. They didn't have it. So we had to do it by hand. Like people getting slowly mad talking about yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> flashbacks. It's flashbacks. Of, yeah. It's the evolution of like what came. Yeah. Before everything else. But then it cuts back to Dumont being tortured. So now Dumont's being tortured. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts back to being back on the ship. And uh, Flynn creates a junction because they're like on this one like beam of light or a laser that the ship is going on and then they're getting chased and so he creates this junction um, to move between the beams and then I guess he uses enough power to do that that he gets knocked out um, as they're on the way to the MCP uh, and then Sark winds up colliding with them. That was like my very brief overview. There's a lot that happens there, but I feel like that's I mean, this what is I a very visual movie. Yes, I, I applaud you for doing your best to try and describe this movie. That yeah. you're like, then some happens. Yeah. Like, it's pleasing to the eye. It's not always yeah, pleasing. It's a pretty. It's I keep saying it's a pretty movie. It's a very yeah. pretty movie. So then, um, Yori and Duma and Flynn, like they all wind up getting captured, and they think Tron has died. Spoiler, Tron does not die, but they think he has died here. And then the next thing I wrote is Tron's alive, exclamation mark. So Tron is not dead. Do do we want to go into details of how we know Tron's alive? Oh, they do a really good. uh, Skip forward a few seconds if you've got a kid listening, but they they do a shot of him like leaning up against the side of the ship. And his butt looks amazing. (laughs) Again, spandex did 
again, I'm, you know, pretty far on the straight side of the Kenzie scale, but even I can recognize like that. It was, it was. <laughs> it's a good butt. Yeah. Um, so then Yuri, just trying to do my, ergot. what? Oh, <laughs> this is okay. So this is I, I no, know. I'm keeping all this in because yeah. I need people to understand how much we're trying to be like, what happened next? Yeah. So my note is Yuri said, because Tron and Dumont are gone. And then Flynn says, I still have power. <laughs> so, oh, because she almost died. She's weak. Yeah, he and brings he, her right? back. For and some he reason, gives her power. For some reason, the bad, guy, the bad guys take Dumont and a whole bunch of other yes, scientists. Yes, Flynn brings her back. That's my next note. They so. take them on like a, a shuttle away from the main ship. And then the main ship starts de-rezzing. Yeah. Like, I don't remember why. They don't say why. It just does. It just does. It's a does. cool effect. Yeah. And it's yeah. gonna, I guess because they're like, burn everybody on this ship, I guess. Like, right. whatever. And, and then uh, Yori has her her don't believe in Tinkerbell moment where she just, for some reason, is so depressed she starts to de-rez. Yeah, I guess that's Flynn what it is. That's, that's my note. Yeah, well, I is guess they're gone and she was sad that they were gone. Flynn can bring her back because he likes her, but not Ram. Not Ram. Nope. I know. I was Can't thinking Ram that back. too. Yeah, apparently. Ram, that's probably why Ram's grandmother started yeah, that campaign. Probably. Like, I'm down for she it. She found Where's that Ram? loophole. Uh, so <laughs> then the MCP, the heart of the whole system, that's where we see the spinning red face uh, of the M- MCP. And then Sark and Tron are in a Frisbee fight, is what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> These are the best notes you've ever written on this show. I love it. And then... Splits, and then I have splits frisbee in head, and that's where his like brains oh. leak out, but it's like pretty pinata color. Well, so yeah. like, little like, all the jewels. time. If if you haven't watched this movie, I you should watch the frisbee fights. You should watch the the light cycles. But every time like if a frisbee comes to someone, you can block it with your frisbee and it'll ricochet off. But Tron like gets this power. He's like no, and he throws it at him, and right. it breaks Sark's like frisbee in half, and then, and then hits his head, his head, and then he like hits the ground and like. Well, it looks like the Infinity Stones come, like, falling yeah, out of his like head. Yeah, they're like jewels. It's like a bowl of, of, of shiny Lucky Charms. Like, yes. all these different colors just fall out of his head. His brains fall out. Dead. Yep. <laughs> it's yeah. like, good lord. But then the MCP brings him back as a giant. So then he yeah. comes back very big. And then this is, my next note is where Flynn and Yuri kiss right before he jumps because he wants to jump into the beam. And so I guess she thinks he's well, going to die. He goes, it's the only way I can save Tron. And... We were all like, how do you know this? Yeah. User. He just, it's user he, stuff, man. You it's just user know. stuff. Yeah. He felt very <laughs> like he stuff. knew what he was doing. So they kiss. Hashtag it's user stuff. Yeah. So they kiss. And then I write, Sark is done. And MCP is defeated. And then this is when color and life, what James was mentioning earlier, like, and I like this whole bit of like that it's all comes really cool. back to the yeah. world. Um, comes back everywhere, and then Yuri just kissed Tron. Is the next thing because well, she thought we thought you were dead, and then she kisses him. Well, it's also it appears like Tron. I guess they don't kiss in this world because Tron's like that was nice, but he seems like he like what was the, like didn't understand what was happening. But she kissed. But he kissed her. Oh, and I think then she kissed Tron. Like I think I think Flynn introduced kissing into the computer world. Okay, makes sense. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Uh, and then Dumont, what is that? Dumont, every, oh, Dumont says every tower starts lighting back up. So yeah, they're all, all realizing the that everything is lighting back up. 
And then Flynn goes back into the real world. But did we know, like, how did Flynn know this was going to, uh, whatever. I'm, he did I'm sorry. That's, You asked the why. Stuff. You asked the why that you said not to ask. Okay, so. sorry, you're right. Uh, or the how, <laughs> I guess I should say. So then Flynn's back in the real world, and then the little info printed out that says priority one that basically is like, it's anyone like, could have typed that up and just printed that out, right? And he's like, my proof. I found yes, my proof. That he created the games, not Dillinger, essentially. And then it cuts to Dillinger back at work. So we're assuming this took all night. Yeah. Because Dillinger comes back to work in the morning and he sees the priority one message when he goes to try to talk to the MCP. And then um, it cuts to the sharpest turn a helicopter has this ever made. helicopter comes flying up the side of the building at an angle I thought was impossible. But there's no way they faked this. Yeah. So. And I was kind of bummed out that, like, he doesn't get the bright red helicopter, like... Well, it was in the daytime, so... Oh, true. I think they wanted to seem less sinister. Yeah, maybe. What'd you say, James? I'm sorry. Yeah, maybe, uh, like I said, less sinister, it's daytime, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't have the lights. But that's when we reveal that Flynn is now the boss of NCOM. Is that the name of the movie? Flynn's now the boss of NCOM, and they all hug, and then we kind of see, like, the city lights in the distance that kind of look like circuits with the lights. Yeah. Like, That's a really cool sh- uh, effect and scene, because it, it basically kind of gives you the idea that in the future, the, there's going to be this mesh of the real world and the digital world into one. Well, uh, I yeah. also think there's the whole thing he says where they're like, you're the, you're the, the, the users, don't you know what... You, you could you know there's a plan and, and he's like no dude no, we just we go do about doing you do. yeah we're like y'all yeah. we just do what we think is supposed to do and sometimes it works yeah. yeah and it's i thought that was kind of an interesting like parallel but i didn't think of that as a circuit good thinking mm-hmm. yeah. and then comes the part that i think you guys missed because you went to go stretch and get something to eat yeah same with james and i was here resetting up but i let the credits run Yep. And the first thing that happens is they have the credit music, which turns into just flat-out church organ music. <laughs> it was church organ doing the Tron theme. And then right before I turned it off, it started to do that wonderful 80s. I, I got to find this song, and we'll put it up on the page. But it's like, you got to fight! You know, yes. like someone starts singing. A Rocky <laughs> montage song. Yeah, it's like, yeah. like the touch from Transformers. Ugh, and I was like, and great. I was like going... I was starting yelling at James because I didn't have your window up, so I didn't know if you were back. I was like, James! And you weren't there. <laughs> Is there are there any plans to do the Transformers movie on this podcast? <laughs> I think that might be a far future thing, but, yeah. it's, but when this thing becomes more of an animation podcast, possibly. Oh, okay. But, yeah, I, I need to get in on that one. <laughs> guys, we made it. We did it. And I want to just, for a second, this is my opinion, so I think I think you guys share this. As much as near the end of that, we were like, then what happened? Like... I enjoyed this this movie. It was yeah. fun to see it again for yeah. the second time. It, I don't think it was as good as the first time. It was just a perfect time okay. for me, like, again. So I've definitely seen this probably more than you two combined. Yeah. I've, this movie has been a thing I have watched all my life. So and I will still continue to watch it. Yeah. Um, and I just want to make sure the audience doesn't think, even though we were kind of like, then what? Like, kind of making fun of it. Yeah. Would you would you suggest it to our audience to check out? Yeah, I would. Yeah. I, I would. If anything that we've talked about sounds interesting to you, or if you're just curious to check it out, I think it's worth seeing. And I think knowing the history, like all of your stories about the documentary, like mm-hmm. the behind the scenes, and and I think when you view it from that 
because I don't have the nostalgia piece to it. So viewing it from a, this is the first time we tried all of these different things. I think that in itself is really interesting to watch it from that point of view. So we have some questions we go over at the end of the episode. Okay. Um, and so some of these might not exactly fit, but we'll make it fit. So like the first question is, how is the princess? Well, that of course would be the protagonist. So I think the princess in this case is Flynn. Flynn? Uh, yeah, could be. sure. Yeah. Could be. So I'm going to go with Flynn. And I love Flynn. I love Jeff Bridges. That's probably most of it. But yeah. the character of Flynn is so like, he's making the dorkiest things look cool. <laughs> Even the only time he actually looks like a dork is when he's sneaking in and he's doing yes, that and weird he's like tiptoeing. <laughs> that even weird then, it's fun. But it was it's, really it's, good. It's fun. Um, no, I really liked him a lot. Mm-hmm. I thought he added a lot to the film, and I think if somebody else was in that role, I don't know if it would have had the same charm. Very to it. good sure. point. Yeah, I I enjoyed Jeff Bridges' performance as Flynn in this movie. It, it he, I mean, we've all watched other Jeff Bridges movies, and you can definitely see where his acting style and his general presence on the screen was alive even back in 1982 when he made this movie. Yeah. Uh, Flynn as as a character is great. He's aloof. Uh he you can tell he's especially at the beginning until about the halfway point right right, right about when Ram uh really when Ram kind of goes away a little bit there when he's having that highlight or whatever match with the one guy is when all of a sudden with it starts the becoming tubby program. Yeah. With it, all of a sudden it starts becoming more real to him. But before that he's playing this off, like he's just having a bad trip or a bad dream or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, but then it starts to turn more serious and he, and he carries it from there. He, he manages to maintain that, uh, the seriousness of the situation at the same time, still being Jeff Bridges. Greetings programs. This is Ryan here. Seems the master control program uh, didn't want this recording to get out there to the to the rest of of of, of the grid, and so he uh, sent his minions to cause some technical issues. And because of that, we lost a decent portion of this recording. Uh, but that's okay. I'm going to give you a real quick uh, update on it. Uh, I know what you guys especially want to know is where did the MCP rank? So first of all, we thought he was uh, fairly effective and frightening, but didn't really give him high points for a lot else. Uh, I believe James gave him high points for uh, Go Away Heat simply because of how silly he looked (laughs) in CGI form, which completely agree. But just to let you know, he did come in ranked uh, in a five-way tie for 26th. Tied with Stromboli from Pinocchio, Amos Slade from Fox and the Hound, Donald Duck's libido from uh, The Three Caballeros, and Lumpjaw from Fun and Fancy Free. So just wanted to let you know that. Uh, Of course, if you listen to this episode, you know, I don't know why you'd skip to the end like this, but of course you listen to the episode. Uh, But you do know that we really enjoyed this picture. Surprisingly, I was worried that Tara would not like it. She did like it. Uh, I'm not sure she would watch it again, at least for a while, but definitely was something we thought we'd put up on the shelf, especially for the making of those type of features, if there's a good uh, Blu-ray out there, which I'm not sure there is. But uh, yeah, we enjoyed it. Uh, hope you enjoy this episode, and yeah, we're going to cut in. We happened to get, we we fought off the MCP and were able to get the uh, the end of this one. So uh, yeah, enjoy the end of the episode. Thank you so much for joining us, yeah, this James. Is this great. is great. Thank I'm glad you. we got yeah. the end for this. Um, we ask our guests to plug, if they want to plug something at the end, it can be a personal project, it can be 
something you've been watching that you've been enjoying or, or reading or doing or whatever during this, this time, or if you just want to endorse peace on earth or something, that's fine too. Or you can I, say pass. I, I don't, I don't plug things. I have nothing to plug. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm good. I, you know what? Be nice to each other. Yeah. Perfect. Love you it. Know, the, the world is rough, you know, be nice to each other. There you go. I, I plug nicety to the world. There we go. I like it. So I'm in support of it. Next time, guys, I believe we will be doing uh, continuing our uh, brief 80s nerddom with uh, the Black Cauldron. Oh, yeah. That is next. <laughs> so that's, thanks for- that's that's Clo, right? Yep. Yeah. That'll nice. be Clo. Yeah. That'll be good. Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. All right. All right. Bye. Hey guys, thanks again for listening. Um, just before we go, wanted to remind you, uh, we are always available for calls on our hotline at 707-968-7731. I had to look over at something to see it because it's so hard to remember, but it is easy to remember. The uh, other one, 707-YO-TRPD-1, like 707-YO-Taryn Ryan Princess Diaries 1. Easy to remember. Uh, we got a call from our friend Ryan, uh, who is also going to be a future uh, co-host on on the uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit episode, the first of I believe three Ryan co-hosts. So yeah, uh, give us a call sometime. And until then, here's Ryan's voicemail. Hey, Taryn Ryan, it's Ryan. Hope you're doing well. Really enjoying the podcast. Uh, thanks for leaving the number again at the end of this one because it's much easier to find that way. Really uh, love that you did Secret of Nim. Love that growing up. Remember being really terrified when all of a sudden like rats are murdering each other and there's blood on the screen somebody gets knifed in the back and you're like what's happening that movie came out when i was three and i saw it in the theater um really wonderful you also by the way uh initial role i think for will wheaton and shannon doherty uh they were uh the brisby kids to the brisby kids or i don't know but uh really looking forward to tron uh that's uh, another classic that we rewatched a ton at my house growing up so can't wait to dive into wonderful 1980s cgi hope you guys are staying safe and doing well thanks for listening to tara and ryan's princess diaries if you want to tell us your favorite disney villain and why it's guest on send us an email at trprincessdiaries at gmail.com or you can send a tweet about how great maleficent is too at trp diaries Check out our Facebook group by searching for Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, and many more. Wherever you hear us, please be our knight in shining armor and give us a five-star review. Thanks again, and until next time, remember to always live happily ever after.